Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones off the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place. He dream- And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you will lie, I will give to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your offspring. Now know that I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and its gate. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, folks, today we're going to learn about Jacob and Esau and a crazy experience that Jacob had in a certain place where he fell asleep and had a dream and received a promise from God that was so transcendent and transformative that it changed the way he thought about God, about himself, and about life. But before we get there, let's go back and get the two-minute roundup. Where are we in the overall story of God? So this is in the book of Genesis, and Jacob was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. And remember, Abraham had two sons. First was Ishmael through Hagar. The second was Isaac through Sarah. And uh, Isaac grew up. Isaac married a woman named Rebekah. And after being infertile for a number of years, uh, they had twin sons. Esau, who came out first, covered, I guess, in red hair. (laughs) Must have been quite a sight. And then Jacob, the second born, came out next, grasping his brother's heel, okay? 
So as the story goes on, Jacob and Esau grow up, and Jacob is a scoundrel and a trickster. He tricks his brother Esau into trading him his birthright for a simple bowl of stew. Then, even more diabolically, Jacob deceived his father, who was close to being blind, Isaac, by gluing hair on his arms and pretending to be Esau, so that he would receive the firstborn blessing from Isaac. Now remember, Jacob is the grandson of the promise. He's going to be the one that carries on God's blessing to the world. But the question that I think the storyteller wants us to ask is, how can someone that deceitful and that manipulative be the carrier of the promise? How can something so good, a blessing, come out of something so deceitful. And to make matters even more scandalous, according to Genesis 25, 21 through 23, God seems to be a part of the trickery. Check this out. Again, this is Genesis 25, starting in verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife Rebekah conceived. But the children, the twins, struggled together within her. And she said, if it is to be this way, why do I live? Kill me now, right? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. So from the very beginning, before the twins were even born, it seems as if God was going to say, listen, the way it's going to be and the way it should be is that Jacob is going to be in charge. So who's tricking whom? Is God in on it? These are all the questions we have to ask. So setting up the scene for today's story are these verses from Genesis 27. 41 through 45. You got to understand this if you're going to understand this crazy dream. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of her elder son Esau were told to Rebekah. So Esau is talking to his mom. So she sent and called her younger son Jacob, and said to him, your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning on killing you. Good news, bad news. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a while while your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger against you turns away and he forgets what you have done to him. Like, as if that's going to ever happen, right? Anyway, then I will send and bring you back there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? So Jacob is on the run. And what you need to know heading into today's scripture portion is essentially this. Jacob had become an expert in controlling people and securing his future by deceiving people. And like an expert chess player, he always knew his next three moves. That sets up today's story. So today's story starts, and we know that Jacob is on the run. He's a fugitive. He's followed his mother's advice. He's left Beersheba, where they live and where his family has been. 
Uh, but he hasn't yet arrived at his uncle's home in Haran. So he's outside of any notion of being protected in any way. And remember, Esau wants to kill him. And he may be on the run and on the hunt for him. So on his way to Haran, we read, Jacob stops and we read this really peculiar phrase. He stops at a certain place because the sun had set. And the next thing we know, he pulls up a stone for a pillow, poor guy, under his head, and he goes to sleep. Now, I'm a curious kind of person when I read the scriptures. And one of the things that I notice right away in this storyline is that the storytellers in the Bible usually tell us exactly where our characters are, right? They're by the Red Sea. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai. They're at the banks of the Jordan River. They're in Galilee going to Samaria. They're leaving Egypt. They're wandering in the wilderness. So the biblical storytellers, again, are typically really uh, specific about where the characters are in geography. But in this story, we read that Jacob arrives at a certain place and goes to sleep. So here's our first all play question. Take some time to think about it and respond with your comments in the uh, Facebook watch party. Why do you think the storyteller, excuse me, what do you think the storyteller might be trying to tell us by letting us know that Jacob had arrived at a certain place where he immediately went to sleep. Do you think the storyteller is trying to tell us something by not telling us where he is? Use the comments to answer. So I bet the answers were robust. I have some follow-up questions regarding that question, and it's this. If you hope to experience God in the moments where you're longing to have an experience with God, where you know who God is, where God maybe speaks to you, where, you know, those moments where you're saying, like, I need to connect with God and have a real experience with God. I need to encounter God. In those moments, when and where do you expect that encounter or that experience to happen? Think about that right? Maybe it's at church. Maybe it's during a silent retreat that you carefully schedule out and you go three days and that's where you're going to meet with God and hear from God. Maybe it's during a prayer or meditation or journaling time that you've set aside in the morning or at night. Uh, maybe it's on your long walk in the woods Maybe it's when you decide to pull out that Brene Brown or Glennon Doyle or Richard Rohr book. Um, maybe it's when you've done enough deep soul work and you feel like the ground of your soul is tilled enough so that you're ready for an encounter with God. Uh, maybe it's while listening to an Enneagram podcast. <laughs> Had to throw that in there. Where is it that you and when is it that you expect to encounter God when you want to encounter God? I think it's a good question. I think it's a rich question. I think it's the question that this passage is asking. And here's what I think. You guys, I think it's human nature to want to try to control and define our experiences with God. 
and it seems to be divine nature to refuse to be controlled. God seems to take great delight in meeting us when and where we least expect it. So if it's human nature to want to try to control and define our experiences with God, I'm not saying this is evil. I'm not saying this is deceitful. I'm just saying it seems to be human nature to try to set up an environment where we're going to meet with God and then expect that we'll meet with God. And it also seems to be, and I think this is what this story is getting at, divine nature to want to surprise us and meet us in those moments where we least expect it. God seems to really, like a rascal, like a scoundrel, seems to really refuse to be controlled. I think this is a little bit what God might be getting at in that great passage when Moses meets with God at the burning bush and Moses has the audacity to ask God what God's name is and God responses, responses? God's response is, I will be what I will be. You know, that's a way of saying you cannot control even the name that you want to give me. I will transcend even that. So Jacob had arrived at this certain place where nothing was expected. It was kind of a non-place, right? This certain place. It's not Haran. It's not Beersheba. It's not where he's been. It's not where he's going. There's no silent retreat. There's no expectation. So much so that he falls asleep. But at this non-place, God transforms it into a crucial place where Jacob is going to receive a promise from God so specific to his life calling and life experiences, his highs and lows, his sins and good decisions, that it's going to really transform and transcend his entire understanding of who he is and who God is. Because Jacob's life has been all about conflict. God says three things to Jacob. This is right in verse 15 of Genesis 28. Know that I am with you, God says to Jacob, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now remember, Jacob has manipulated and deceived and controlled his entire future up to this point. There seems to be very little that we would say uh, in the way of resume building and character building that would put him as an ideal candidate to be a carrier of the blessing, right? He doesn't seem to, his whole life seems to have been about deceit and conflict, and now he's on the run. And yet, God says these three things to him. So let's unpack each of those things just for a minute or two. I am with you, God says. So the first promise is really about presence. And I think this is what the ladder is all about. Jacob dreams this bizarre ladder with angels 
ascending and descending. I think and this is Walter Brueggemann's thought from his great commentary on Genesis. He says that it's as if God wants Jacob to know that heaven has come down to earth in this nondescript place, this thin place, the Celts might say. This place that was a non-place has become a place resplendent with God's glory and majesty and presence. And just like Jacob was surprised in that specific certain place that God's presence filled him up, Jacob will continue and Jacob's descendants will continue to be surprised by God's ongoing presence in a way that is not dependent on them getting it right or getting it wrong. Many times God's people will wander away, but God will always be with them. The fugitive has not been abandoned. God will accompany him wherever he goes. And man, that's good news, right? For any one of us that feel like maybe we had a moment with God, but we've screwed it all up, you know, and now God has abandoned us. This story tells us that no matter how maybe much you've lost the plot, that God will continue to be with you, that what God has called you to, God will continue to accompany you in that calling until it's completed. I think that's a promise that we can learn from this story. The second one, I will keep you. If the first promise, I will be with you, is about presence, the second promise, I will keep you, is about action. So like a shepherd, God will protect Jacob. And this word to keep, it's all over the scriptures. It's in Genesis 2 uh, and 3. It's in uh, that famous blessing, may the Lord bless you and keep you. It means to guard. The keeper of Israel protects the lives of those who are exposed and defenseless. So that is a promise of action that you, when you are in exile, when you are lost and alone, when you're in those places, those non-places, that certain place where you're not in Haran yet and you're no longer in Beersheba, you're feeling risky and vulnerable, God is with you and will keep you. And then the third promise, I will bring you back home again. This is about blessing and returning. Jacob and Jacob's people we know this from the biblical account, we'll spend long, long seasons in exile, in slavery, where they're destitute, but God will always bring them back home. So these three words, I will be with you, I will keep you or guard you, and I will bring you back home. Very poignant words for a person who spent his life in conflict and on the run. It's probably the last thing he expected to hear, if he expected to hear from God at all. And we have no, <laughs> we have no reason to believe that he expected to hear from God at all in any way, shape, or form in this story at all. But the fact that he does and the fact that it comes while he's sleeping is, I think, so beautiful. So Jacob's response is this in verse 16. Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I, I did not know it. And he was afraid or in awe and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, Bethel. This is the gate of heaven. So that place, that non-place that didn't have a name, 
Jacob named it Bethel, house of God. So I have some personal takeaways from this story. Uh, One is this. This is a personal takeaway. As I reflected on this story, as I thought about this meeting, this transcendent meeting that Jacob had where he felt so personally, um, such a personal experience with God. I have felt in the last few years uh, sad uh, about my lack of personal experiential feelings of presence with God. I'm in a season right now where I, it's hard for me to feel a sense of God's personal presence. And so one of the, one of the practices I've had for 10 or more years now is to meet with a spiritual director about once a month. And a spiritual director's point in your relationship is simply to help you to wake up to where God is active in your life. A spiritual director isn't a counselor. A spiritual director is trained to listen to you, but also to listen to God, to what God might be speaking to you or saying to you in ways that you can't quite picture. And in a very gentle and sweet way, my spiritual director helped me see how I was experiencing God communally through things that have happened at Genesis recently movements of the spirit, movements of unity, movements of togetherness, um, that I didn't classify those things as meeting with God in this certain place. But as I reflected on them, they really, really were. They just, it just wasn't what I expected. I didn't have a category for meeting with God in those kinds of ways. So, um, so that's my personal reflection. And, and a question I want to ask you is this. In what ways are you tempted to try to control and define your experience with God? Let's let that be an all play question. You can use the comments in the Facebook posts. In what ways are you tempted to try to control and define your, relation, your experience with God in a way that might feel disappointing these days? Use the Facebook comments to answer. I remember I went on a retreat, uh, one of these silent retreats where my expectations to meet with God was sky high. And it was a guided retreat. And I remember the first night I got there and I was late. My flight was late. And so I was all discombobulated. And I had this dream that I, it was a very vivid dream that I had overslept my alarm and I had missed the first session. I was all stressed out. I was freaked out. And the, the dream was one of those dreams where it like it felt like it was real, right? And then I woke up and I realized I hadn't overslept my alarm. I realized I hadn't missed anything. And in that moment, in that unexpected place, certain place, God spoke to me for real. And I sensed God said, Steve, what I have for you, you will not miss. You don't have to worry about missing the gift that I will have for you. What I have for you, I will deliver to you. You can just put that in the bank. Don't worry about it. And man, my shoulders just really relaxed. It was a way that I met with God in a way that I didn't even know. I was so worried 
about will I get the gift that God wants to bring bring me? And and my dream told me that that I felt like that was all up to me to manufacture it, and I could lose it or miss it if I slept in or whatever. And God was saying, no, no, I will be with you. Isn't that? I mean, just one of these moments. They haven't happened too often, but when they do, they're beautiful. And then, so that's one question that I want you to reflect on, even beyond the all play. In what ways are you tempted to try to control and define your relationship with God? And maybe in this next week or two, in what ways can you work on gradually letting that go? Just letting it go. The second thing I want to ask you to reflect on as a result of being immersed in this story is this. Do you believe in any way, even is there even an unconscious belief that you have that God won't accompany you anymore, that God won't protect you anymore, and that you won't receive God's blessing of returning home because of the mistakes that you've made in the past, because of maybe some manipulation that you've done, maybe some lying, maybe some betrayal. Um, it's human nature to believe that God will abandon us if we do those things. But the graceful story of the scriptures, and this is a great example of Jacob, tell us over and over again that God's faithfulness is based on God and God's promises and not on our unfaithfulness. It's not fair in a way. I mean, it's like beautifully not fair. We want God to be a quid pro quo God because we're convinced that we can control our experiences. We're still convinced that if we get it right, do it right, don't fail, then we will meet with God. But remember, God, I think, it sounds like a certain statement, I don't mean it to be, but it seems to me that God just, if there's anything that God refuses, it's to be controlled. God is not a quid pro quo God. God delights in meeting us when we don't deserve it, when we've done everything wrong, when we've abandoned God. God seems to delight in meeting us in those very places. And I think that's what the story of Jacob tells. It's what the story of the Bible tells over and over and over again. So the last thing that I would ask you to reflect on is this. In what ways do you need to be open to the reality that your mistakes and your past do not nullify God's presence with you, God's action of protection with you, and God's longing and promise to return you home? that those things are all dependent on the faithfulness of God and not your faithfulness. Can you let that, let it, can you open up a, just a tiny crack in your soul to let that reality in? Because if you can, if you can, I promise you, you will be open and awake to many, many, many other times and experiences where God wants to surprise you with a delightful sense of God's presence and God's protection. And by protection, I don't mean nothing bad will ever happen to you. It's not about that. It's about 
the thing that really matters in you is safe within God. The identity of who you really are, whose you really are, and what you're called to do is secure. So let's learn from Jacob and let's, um, let's partner with this scandalous God who seems to delight in surprising us and seems to refuse to be controlled. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.